All right, you ready? I think so. Let's do it. What's up, guys and gals? On this podcast, we will seek to examine the stories, the history, technology, and ideas that define mankind. We hope that you will join us on this journey as we get our hiking boots, walking sticks, and sanitary wipes. And we try to define mankind. What's up, JR? Uh, not much. I uh, had a, uh, a great uh, camping trip this past weekend uh, to uh, the very area we're going to talk about this week. So. Right. That's, that's why I changed up the intro yeah. to hiking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we are going to talk about the Brown Mountain Lights. The Brown Mountain Lights. Yep. A, uh, an unusual, unexplained phenomenon that happens you know, not, not too terribly far from us here. So you, I don't know if... I don't think you would categorize yourself as an outdoor person. I, maybe you would. Yes. Um, I would rather be outside. Okay. So, but I've never, I've never pulled the skin like a glove off a rabbit, though. Got it. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, just being outside. There's a lot of different things you can do outside: hiking, camping, things like that. Uh, um, you don't necessarily have to be hunting or, or, right. or what yeah. have you. So, in your, um, in the time that you have spent outdoors. Have you ever come across anything unusual? Seen something unusual? Experienced something strange? Yep. All right. What was it? Um, so, I was not expecting this. So, this is real tongue-in-cheek, obviously. But, um, some old family land on my wife's side. It was about 20-some acres, I guess, of woods that ended up at, an, at the original quarry here in our town. Okay. And... Um, you could walk down there, and I about fell in the quarry when I finally found it. I was looking up, and I should have been looking down. But anyway, that's not the story. So one day, I was uh, out there walking around, and I wasn't but 100 yards into the woods. And something, a bird rustled, or something caught my attention off to the left, and I stopped, and I looked to the left. But then off to my right, it sounded like a Tyrannosaurus Rex was taken off through the I mean it was so loud taken off through the woods I don't know what it was but I mean every hair on the back of my neck stood up I mean it, it freaked me and I probably stood there for eight minutes without moving you know what I mean sure sure yeah. so you never did figure out what it was no hmm, okay but I thought about a bear yeah uh, a loud deer um, I did not think about a t-rex until just now because those are extinct but yeah, it was very. It's kind of frightening, you know what I mean? Sure. Because sure. you realize that you're little and unarmed at the moment. <laughs> so, uh, do you know anything at all about the Brown Mountain Lights? Are you familiar? Yes and no. Okay. I think I had the. I had an idea. Okay. About the Brown Mountain Lights, I'm not sure if it was correct though. Okay. So. Uh, legend has it, Cherokee legend has it. Cherokee? Cherokee legend has it that around 1200 AD, there was a massive battle that was fought on Brown Mountain between the Cherokee and Catawba Indians. Okay. So the legend goes that these unusual lights that people see on the mountain are the Indian maidens still searching for the men who died in battle. And the, the battle was on Brown Mountain? Battle was, battle was on Brown Mountain. What was it about? Well, see, the thing about this legend is this was published in a newspaper in Asheville, and I believe it was the 1920s. 
Oh, good. So it's only 700 years old at the point. That and um, after that, the newspaper never gave any um, supporting evidence for this claim of there's this Cherokee legend. And people oh. who actually study Native American history um, say there's no such legend. It seems like the newspaper just made the legend up out of, out of whole cloth. So fake news in the 20s. Uh, 1920s. Yeah, I, I suppose. So uh, trying to trying to sell papers, I, I guess. There's another potential origin story here that does have a little bit of supporting evidence. In, in 1771, a German scientist, let me see if I can catch his name here, Gerard de Brom. De Brom. De Brom. Recorded strange experiences while exploring Brown Mount, the area around Brown Mountain. Strange experiences. Yes. So these were not like digestive issues or anything like that. This is so. What we do know is, in his diary, he wondered if these these noises and and these other experiences he had could have been created by spontaneous ignition of nitrous vapors. What? But that's the extent of of what he wrote in his diary. He doesn't actually say like he saw these unusual lights. He doesn't say really anything else. But some people point to this as this is you know he this is him talking about the brown mountain lights. All right, so let's take a step back. Sure. Can if you're on Brown Mountain, do you see the lights or do you have to see the lights from across the valley on the other mountain? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, Can you only view these if you're not on Brown Mountain? We'll, we'll, we'll get into that a little okay. bit. Okay. So what we do know from, from the history, what we can confirm, aside from the weird sort of diary record recording of de Brom um, and a apparently made-up Native American legend, the earliest published mentions of the Brown Mountain Lights begin in 1912. Okay. All right. I'm not sure if if uh, I read one of the sources I read said uh, suggested that it was might not have been coincidental that these reports happened right on the heels of Jules Verne's 1906 novel Master of the World being published in English in 1911 because an a, a, an important plot point in that book involves a mad scientist constructing an airship inside his secret lair in Table Rock near Morganton, this area that we're talking about near Brown Mountain. So this was published in English in 1911. In 1912, people who live in the area start reporting these unusual lights and sightings that we have no record of being reported previously. Just an interesting interesting bit of But it was reported before the book was written, right? The book was published in English in 1911. The earliest recorded mentions, published mentions, we have is 1912. Oh. So, you know, right after this is published in English, people in the area start talking about unusual lights. Because of this book? Possibly. That's, that's one explanation given for why the timing of this. Isn't that weird that a lot of times... A lot of times you will have a book written about something that's never happened and people believe it to be historical fact. Sure. But then you, well, like the Da Vinci Code's a lot like that. 
you know, all of a sudden everybody's, you can't get people to believe the truth, but then they read the Da Vinci Code and they swear it's, <laughs> you know what I mean? They swear it's true. Um, and then here you have this guy write this book and all of a sudden people begin Who seeing, live in the area that right. he talked about in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of makes you think of the Mothman in West Virginia a little bit. Yeah. So what, what we, what we, the other things we do know is that there were a number of uh, travel logs, collections of ghost stories, and other things from this area that predate, you know, this, these sightings starting to be recorded in 1912, but none of them mention any mysterious lights on Brown Mountain. Okay, so Brown Mountain, before that book is written, Brown Mountain is a place that has some unexplained activity, obviously. There, there is some, some unusual activity in the area, but no mention of, of mysterious lights prior to, prior to 1912. Now you that went, we have recorded. You went there and camped this past weekend. I went right? there and camped this past weekend on Brown Mountain. You see any ghosts? I did not. Did you hear any chains like Jacob Marley or anything? I, I did not. No. I, I slept pretty well. Shout um, out to Jacob was, Marley, uh, by the way. It was um, nice and uh, it was it was cool in the mountains. It was it was actually got a little chilly in my hammock. It was it was it was a it was an excellent trip. But no, no unusual sightings. A lot of this story centers around a guy named Joseph Lovin. How do you spell that? L-O-V-E-N. Okay. He lived next to Lovin's Hotel. And I never actually did find any um, confirmation that he owned said hotel. That's but what given, I was going to say. But given yeah. the name, it certainly seems to imply that him or a member of his family owned said hotel. It'd been great if he owned a McDonald's. I'm loving it. No. Yeah. yeah. So he claimed, he later claimed that he started, first started noticing these lights in 1897, okay. but he took no interest in them and didn't hear anyone else talk about them until his neighbor, C.E. Gregory, began trying to draw public attention to them. Um, and that happened, uh, you know, the 1910, 1911, 1912 time period. And none of them published anything? No, I mean, there's some written accounts in newspapers. There's a... There's a uh, one of the early accounts we have is September 24th, 1913. The Charlotte Daily Observer described mysterious lights seen just above the horizon every night. Red in color, appearing punctually at 7.30 p.m. and again at 10 p.m. Really? The Charlotte? The Charlotte paper. paper. About Brown Mountain? About Brown Mountain. Okay. So, and they, they attributed this information to a guy named Anderson Lovin, another member of this family uh, quote an old and reliable resident okay all right the lovins it's there's a couple things here so these lights most people describe when when you talk to people who've seen these lights in person or you read descriptions of people who've seen these lights in person and i actually talked to my brother and one of, and a friend of his who when they lived in boone traveled down the mountain and to see these one night and successfully saw the brown mountain lights that's cool one fall so I was talking to him and talking to, to his friend, and what they describe pretty much uh, coincides with most of the other descriptions that I read online of these, you know, basketball or I think in his case he actually said beach ball-sized balls of light that floated. He thought about 15 feet above the tree line. Now, where was he at? He was, was uh, he on Brown Mountain. He was not. He was. Uh, he was on the opposite mountain. Okay. Do we know the name of that mountain? So there's a couple places you can look at the mountain. He could not actually remember because a friend planned the trip and okay. they just went along. But there's a couple places you can see them from. 
One is the Brown Mountain Overlook on 181 above Morganton. Um, so that's, you know, you drive up 181, there's, a, there's a, an overlook where you can stop. And uh, that's a popular viewing location. There's a uh, another popular location for from the Blue Ridge Parkway at milepost 310 and a 301. Wow, this is uh, really specific. Very yes, good. and um, also some people go to the top of Table Rock or Wiseman's View, two okay. other two other high points. So in all these cases, they are on other ridges looking over at Brown Mountain. I did not find any indication of uh, people reporting them actually on Brown Mountain. That doesn't say that it doesn't exist. I just I didn't find any. But their their description is pretty normal. That they, you know, you know, beach ball sized balls of light. And he said one would come up and he said, you know, it might be there for 15 seconds. It might be there for a couple minutes. It varied. But he said you'd have one come up and go away. And then, you know, maybe a mile away on this other area of the mountain, you would see, you know, a couple more come up for a little while and go away. And it was just kind of these balls of light that just moved around above the tree line. That is so weird. Yeah. And the the strange thing that I found is when I went out and tried to find videos of this, the videos that I found didn't look like that. Everyone's description looked like that. But the actual videos show what looked like they could... Lo looked more to me, if you go out on YouTube look for these videos, looked more to me like, okay, this is somebody's campsite on the side of Brown Mountain. Like, it looks like it's on the mountain. In the woods there. In the woods. On the ground. And the other thing that, that, huh. that I think coincides with that is the most popular time that people see these is October and November. So after the leaves are off the trees. Which means it's Which on the ground. Which makes me think it's below tree line, not above tree line. And I wonder if there's something unusual or something just about the way that the distance and the angles of looking at the mountain, you know, from an opposite mountain that makes you think maybe they're higher up than they are. With no trees on, with no leaves on the trees to give you maybe context. Okay. It was, and it's pitch black. Keep that in mind. There's no light. Of you know, there's not like the mountain's not lit up. It's national forest. So, if it's pitch black and you're just seeing light in the distance, balls of light pop up in the distance, it's gonna be kind of hard to judge. So you can't necessarily tell as a viewer if if the mountain is the backdrop or sky is the backdrop. So yeah. sometimes that description may be off. Yeah, he was pretty insistent that they were above fifteen feet, about 15 feet above tree line. Okay. And so was pretty much everybody else. But the videos that I saw did not look like that at all. They looked more like, okay, that's 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 somebody's campsite on the mountain. You know, these are lanterns and fires. But they were moving fires. around real fast? It, not the video I saw. Not the videos that I saw. Okay. But in their descriptions, yeah, the lights move around. They kind of move around erratically. Up, down, sideways, it doesn't matter. They, they move pretty erratically. And like I said, they might be there briefly. They might be there for a while. That's creepy. Yeah. The locals, when this stuff started happening in the early 1910s, in 1913, they go, they start to ask the government to investigate these strange lights that have popped up on the mountain. Which I think maybe also lends some credence to this being a fairly recent, this being a, something that started in the 1900s, because they hadn't asked for this prior to 1913. Okay. So you got the first recorded, confirmed entries in 1912. 1913, they ask for the government to look into this. And the U.S. Geological Survey, 
sent a employee, D.B. Sterrett, to, to the area using telescopes to kind of show how stuff moves at a distance. And to be honest, I can't explain how that works, but using telescopes to kind of explain how this stuff was moving in the distance and viewing them from next to Lovin's Hotel, where, the, where their sightings were. He claimed that these were the headlights of the westbound Southern Railways locomotive. Nah. Which he then confirmed with the punctual time schedule of 7.30 and 10 p.m., coinciding with the train schedule of when the train would be going across the mountain. And... What do you think about that? Just prior to this, in 1909, Southern Railways had upgraded their locomotive headlamps to 600,000 candle power systems. Those were stronger than a lot of lighthouses that were in operation at the time. But that... Okay, if that was the case, though people would say that this light appears and it goes that way and that's it. Yeah. So it wouldn't come back. So the people who've seen these lights Because if you see a train light go that way and then come back, you've just seen a train wreck. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So people who've seen this lights claim that this explanation is, is bogus. Right. It doesn't make sense. Okay. So, is Lovin's Hotel still standing? I do not know the answer to that. I would so love to go see Lovin's Hotel. So uh, we could find out. I didn't out. mean to do a pun there, but no. the road trip, road trip. Yeah, we could find out. I mean, you and I could go camping on Brown Mountain this fall, you know. Yeah. But, um, so the locals pretty much dismissed Starrett's conclusions. Right. And who was he working for when he said that? The U.S. Geological Survey. Okay. So. The particular Lovin who owned the hotel, George Anderson Lovin, was doing pretty good business from all these visitors who were coming to, you know, see these mysterious lights that were being reported. To see the train. But in July of 1916, there was a major flood in the area that caused train activity and other vehicle activity because you were starting to have cars and stuff as well, which they said some headlights could be an explanation, part of an explanation. But the flood caused all this activity to stop for several weeks because they had to repair the tracks and the roads and all that. And some of the locals claimed that the lights continued even when there was no trains or or vehicles. If the locals are telling the truth. Yeah. The locals are making good money off the tourism, too. So that's, that's part of the question here. So with his investigation being considered inadequate by the locals, the U.S. Geological Survey then sent Mansfield to investigate in 1922. Again, he set up uh, an Allidade telescope near Lovin's Hotel. And um, with members of the Lovin family, he recorded all these lights, uh, one of which appeared to move and flare in brightness, uh, which made Joseph Lovin call that that is a true brown mountain light, is what he said. But using the telescope, he proved that the light was actually stationary throughout the entire evening. Huh. But it appeared to move to the viewers? They took azimuth readings and showed the light was stationary, even though the viewers thought the light was moving. What's an azimuth? It is a device used to like measure something moving on the horizon. Like something that ships would have used. Oh, okay. So, right. so the viewers are looking at this and they're saying, look at that go back and forth. 
and it's not actually moving. Well, how's that possible? I, I don't know. Another series of lights were seen that evening were found to plot on a map to a curve in the Southern Railways track. And the time of that light corresponded exactly to that of a scheduled train. At the end of the observing session, Robert Lovin said, the guy who owned the hotel, said um, that he didn't think any of those were real Brown Mountain lights, even though Joseph Lovin had said, this is, these are real Brown Mountain lights. Wouldn't a train make a choo-choo noise? Not necessarily. I mean, I've been I've been up in the mountains where trains go. Yeah. Um, and if they're not coming to a crossing or anything, they're not going to blow their horn in the middle. Well, of the no, night. but I mean, depends on how far away from you are. Yeah. I guess whether or not you can hear that. For a lot of the locals, this seemed to have kind of solved the mystery. What did the the whole combination of this light isn't moving and this is a curve in the railway's track and there's a train coming through here. Joseph Lovin, for instance, who's been talking about this, suddenly stopped talking about it. He never brings it up again. So it seems like for him, he might have decided, okay, well, this explains it and, and moved on. For others, these lights still aren't explained. And like I said, if you talk to people who have seen these, the idea that these would be some combination of trains and vehicles and things which there's no there's no regular roads on brown mountains national forest but there are uh, forestry service roads access roads things like that they uh they still to this day say these are still happening they're still unexplained well yeah because if it's a vehicle it's gonna have two lights yeah but i know if you're seeing the profile of it yeah. You're gonna see one light, but you're also gonna see the tail lights lit up. Yeah. I mean, we all know what a car looks like. Yeah. I wonder if like a combination of the angles and the distance could lead you to only seeing like one of the headlights or something. I gotta I, go I, check I don't, this out. I don't know, but there was. I, I loved for this. I, I loved a, a quote by Daniel Canton. He's a professor of physics and astronomy at Appalachian State University. Oh, okay. And he was he was involved in a debate with a uh, supernaturalist and they were trying to explain this. A supernaturalist? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, he's trying to take a scientific approach to this and and this other guy is talking about ghosts and and other things. Uh, He said, quote, there are very few places on this earth where you can still go and explore these types of mysteries. I thought that was, you know, just a a cool way to talk about these... uh, unknown phenomenon that we have here so that's what that's what the scientific minded guy said yeah huh see if this was really car lights and a train light and stuff i think he would have just said that yeah yeah i also read another interesting report where a group who claims to be there's a booklet a brown mountain lights viewing guide that's put out okay and they claim to be trying to come at it from a a non-biased viewpoint. He says that they claimed to have been able to create similar balls of light in a lab by copying the environment that you find on the mountain. So there's a thought that so there's geological plates on the mountain. Okay. There's a thought that maybe them rubbing together combined with some gas or something. But again, these ball, you know, balls of light don't really look like that. You know, maybe the images, maybe the videos I saw of what looks like, you know, almost a fire or a, a bunch of light on the mountain 
maybe. I also thought about, and this came up in other ones, you're familiar with like ball lightning. I've heard of in it. The right, in the right environment, if everything's working out properly. Is it like you heat know, lightning? You can have you can have lightning that instead of looking like a, a bolt of lightning that's coming down to the ground, it looks like a ball of light. Okay. So I wonder if there's something, you know, and, and this is something that uh, other people have, have talked about, is if there's something specific about the mountain that maybe causes more of these ball lightning um, events to happen in the area. But again, none of this has been confirmed. This is all just speculation. In 1965, Ralph Lale, this is going to get weird. Ralph Lale. Oh, now we're going to get weird. A local UFO researcher. Here we go. All right. Published a book called The Brown Mountain Lights. In it, he claimed he had voluntarily cooperated in his abduction by aliens on the mountain several times. Lale's work anchored a widespread belief that the phenomenon was more extraterrestrial than terrestrial. He even had a shop where he kept what he claimed to be the body, the embalmed body of an alien in the back of his shop from his visits on the mountain. This guy's got to be single. (laughs) Because, I mean, when you're on your fifth day and you drop that line... She's a goner, you know? Yeah. You know, you've got all kinds of weird things. I think the common thing here, and I'm not saying that people are making it up because people who don't live in the area see these things as well and don't have an explanation for it. But I think the common denominator here really seems to be, for a lot of this, is tourism. Tourism, yep. You know, the owner of the hotel, the guy who owns this shop with the supposed body of an alien, you know, in the back of the shop. Oh, so that's there at the mountain now? It was. Okay. Uh, the guy died. There's. I read some. I read some interviews with people who claim they saw the alien corpse, but when the guy died and the shop closed up, nobody ever knew what happened to it or what it was or anything about it. You know. It's so ridiculous. There's a lot of strange things here. So this is something that seems to be some sort of you know natural phenomenon to some extent. But there's also a lot of, seems to be a lot of, okay, how can we make money off of this? Yeah. Now, it being 2021, I will admit that we are suddenly taking a new look at objects in the sky that are flying around, and we are unable to identify them. But there's just culturally, when you put the three letters from the alphabet together and say UFO, you know, it just gets sure. so, you, you just get sidelined into this marginalized, weird um. Yeah, sure. you end up going places you don't necessarily mean to go. Sure, and I mean UFO just means unidentified flying, flying objects. Object. It just means it's not identified. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily mean little green men or, or whatever. Right. But you know, for this guy, it uh, you know there were aliens living in Brown Mountain or whatever you know, and that's explained these these uh, balls of light. But uh, all right, now in a previous episode we talked about some people that lived in the woods. And they were accompanied by little balls of light. Do you remember what they were? Did the Puckwoods have yep, balls of light? They I did. I remember that. They did, yeah. Okay. So not that I believe in Puckwoodsies, but um, I, that just now crossed my mind that uh, that those two, there's a little bit of an interaction there between the, these two subject matters. Yeah. Yeah. A couple other things to keep in mind is with the timing of this in the 1900s, these lights really didn't get started reported until the train light upgrade and until automobiles were starting to become common 
And Brown Mountain is the only area in North Carolina, National Forest Area in North Carolina, that has a lot of ATV trails. So it's possible, you know, in modern times that some of this might could be explained by, you know, ATVs on the mountain, things like that. You know, of course, people camping and, and things of that nature, assuming they're below a tree line. But wouldn't you know that that's an ATV? Uh, again, uh, if it's on a switchback trail and it, you, from your angle, it looks like it's above the trees. Ah, okay. All right. You know, you just see this moving back and forth and then it disappears because it went, you know, around the mountain or okay. whatever. Uh, I, I wonder, I, I think a lot of this has to be explained by distance and angles. It sounds like we're, we're, people are looking at something, but because of the darkness and the leaves being off the tree, trees, plural, and it's so dark that you can't necessarily make out the line of the mountain with the sky so that you're seeing a, a possibly a normal light out of context because you, your eye can't figure out the context that you're seeing it in. Yeah. You know? But that takes all the magic out of the lore of it. Yeah. One last story. There's a local story that in, in 1982, Morganton resident Tommy Hunter said he actually touched one of the lights at the overlook off of 181 out of Morganton. He was looking over the edge. They were they were looking they were seeing they were seeing the lights. He was looking over the edge and one came close enough that it was hovering close enough that he was able to reach out and touch it. And he says it felt like he'd stuck his finger in a light socket. Six other people were with Tommy that night and corroborated his story. All right, well there went the ATV theory. If the story is true. That's yeah. Right. And what's Tommy on drugs? <laughs> there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of ifs here, but if you want to go see the Brown Mountain Lights for yourself, which I do, the best viewing location. Uh, we talked about the other ones, but the best viewing location is generally considered the Brown Mountain Overlook on Highway 181. That's between mile marker 20 and 21. Wiseman's View is another one, but you kind of have to either hike or, or have a four-wheel drive vehicle to get to. Um, and I mentioned the other locations you could see it from the Blue Ridge Parkway. So. Best time is October, November, after the leaves are off the trees, and usually after it's rained. What? And I have no, and I did not see any explanation for that. I saw some mention of them trying to explain, like you know, with like gas coming out of the the uh, the 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 ground, the ground with. Well, the, where the plates are shifting and stuff with the mountain. That, so that the, be, right. the water may have something to do with affecting that, but I don't know. But they say October, November are the best times. After and it rains. More reports also happen right after it rains. That is so weird. Do people go ride their ATV in the dark in the fall after a heavy rain? After Pro a good rain? Probably. I mean, that's when I would ride a four-wheeler. In the dark? I mean, maybe not necessarily in dark, but def I mean, if rain. you have headlights, it wouldn't be a big deal. But after the rain, yeah, it's muddy. That's that's a that's a fun time to ride a four wheeler. But I don't know. I think we should go back and go camping. You know, because we went July Fourth weekend. I think uh, you and I should go camping. You know, this fall on Brown Mountain. And see what we see. See what we see. 
we can either drive over to the Overlook if we want. So there we have an unexplained mystery. All right, so what about that makes us human? It's interesting to see the different ways that people have tried to explain them, both natural explanations and supernatural explanations and possibly people just trying to make money. It, it, it's very interesting to see this unusual phenomenon being expressed by so many different people from different walks of life, some who live there, some who don't, and them all trying to come up with an explanation for it. Yeah. So. It's slightly spooky. It is. And nowadays, when we think we have everything figured out, uh, we don't run into many opportunities to where we, we don't understand what made that noise or what made that light or, you know, or what made that shadow because we can pretty much we feel that we can explain everything away. Yeah. So when you do find something that you can't explain away, it's like, ooh. Yeah, so we go back to that Daniel Canton, or Daniel Catan, I think I mispronounced his name earlier, quote, there are a few, very few places on this earth where you can still go and explore these types of mysteries. Right. And we have one fairly close by here. Wow. So, you have anything else, John? Do you believe in ghosts? That's, that's going to be a complicated answer. I don't know if we really <laughs> want to get into that right now. I don't believe in disembodied spirits of the dead. Okay. I certainly believe there are unusual things that we can't explain sometimes. Like the brown mountain lights. Or, yeah, or other things that people sometimes attribute to spirits. Okay, all right. So. Very good. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed the episode. You can uh, find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at WMUH Podcast. You can email us, WMUHpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And uh, be sure to share this episode with uh, one other person that you think um, may enjoy this. If you have seen the Brown Mountain Lights, we'd love to hear from you. Yes, we would. All right, folks. Until next week. Have a good one.